up next on Walking by Faith. But let me just tell you something. God does not look at experience. God does chapter and verse. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. He said, I've magnified my word above all my name. He said, I confirm my word with signs following. You know what God does? God does chapter and verse. Hello, I want to welcome you today to Walking by Faith. Thank you for being with us. I am excited you've joined us. Today we're going to talk about blessing and cursing. Now, so often as Christians we think about blessing, but the Bible also talks about a curse. In fact, it only took three chapters in the book of Genesis to get to the place where we find the first curse. Now, most of us are totally ignorant about a curse, how to break a curse. And the Bible tells us very, very plainly how to break a curse, where our faith needs to be and what our faith needs to be in. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You've been redeemed. That curse is broken but we need to put our faith in what he did for us. I want you to join me right now as we connect with this message right as it begins. But today we're gonna to jump right in on how to receive a blessing. I wanna start in 2 Peter, first chapter. Now, the way that the kingdom of God works, this is what the Bible says. It says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, how many of you know you receive Jesus by faith? And everything in the kingdom comes the same way. As you received him, so walk in him. Everything in the kingdom comes by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please him. You can't connect with God without faith. You cannot receive from God without faith. And faith is largely dependent on knowledge. Faith comes by hearing, right? So you, you've got to have knowledge in order to have faith and to receive a blessing. Listen, blessings come the same way salvation comes, which is the greatest blessing. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Everything we receive in the kingdom, we receive by faith. Right? Faith is the key in the kingdom, right? Now, faith, somebody says, I thought it was love. Faith works by Love. Faith works by love. It works by love. Right? But faith is necessary to receive anything in the kingdom. Now, 2 Peter 2, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. Remember, we're talking about faith, and faith is largely dependent on knowledge. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us. Now, these aren't going to be given. These have been given. This is not for when you get to heaven. This is for now. Have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So God has given us what the Bible calls exceedingly great and precious promises. How many of them are there? 7,000, 
487 promises. Now, listen, I do not know what your problems are, but I know there's a promise that covers it. Right? No matter what it is that you and I face, there is a promise that God has that covers our situation. Well, you say, yeah, but I'm, I'm afraid. You know, that's why God said in Isaiah, fear not. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. And when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So he says, yeah, but I'm just under all this guilt and condemnation. That's why David said in the Psalms, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And David calls those promises benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. You don't need to live under guilt and condemnation. And because he forgives all your iniquities. So he says, yeah, but I'm sick. That's why it says he heals all your diseases. So he says, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I need provision. David said, I was young and now I'm old. And I haven't seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. In the New Testament, Philippians 4 says, but my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We've been given exceeding great and precious promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, All the promises of God. How many? 7,487. All the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. You know, when you and I lay hold of one of the promises and receive that promise, it brings glory to God. It brings glory to him. Now, here's the thing. You're receiving a promise, receiving the manifestation of the promise, is not automatic. Now, a lot of us as Christians, this is what we think. We just think, well, whatever God wants for me, it's just going to happen. Now, I was brought up believe in, in, in a church that believed like that. And we believed everything God wanted would happen. And it didn't matter what you did, whatever happened to you, it was God's will for it to happen to you. God had planned for it to happen to you. In fact, when we fell down the stairs, we would get up and we'd say, I'm glad that's over with. Because we thought God had planned for us to fall down the stairs. And you're laughing, but I'm serious. All right? We thought everything was God. Now, look, that works really good, really well in a theological discussion, but it does not work in real life. Right? I was sitting with a guy, and he was telling me, well, it's just God's plan for me to have all these problems. I said, I'm going to slap you. And he said, no, you shouldn't. I said, but God wants me to. <laughs> it doesn't work in real life, I'm telling you. You know it doesn't work. It might work in a theological discussion, but in real life, it's just like, it doesn't work. Okay, so listen. God has stuff he wants for you. He's got 7,487 promises for you. But that doesn't mean you're going to get them. Right? It, it, it's, it's like a contender for a world championship. He has a chance, but he's not automatically going to get him. Right? Now, somebody said, but doesn't God want me to have him? Yes, he does. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Your father desires to give you the kingdom. But then he turned around and he said, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, which is right? Both of them are right. God wants to give you the kingdom. But there is an enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in faith. Now, by the way, the devil is not the total sum of evil in the world. The devil is a malevolent, evil, wicked spirit being. He once was an angel. He sinned. He was kicked out of heaven. He's the one who came and tempted Adam and Eve. He's the one who met Jesus in the wilderness. And by the way, Jesus defeated him in the wilderness. And then he beat the snot out of him at the cross. Did it all over again at the cross. The Bible says at the cross, he brought him to naught. He brought him to zero. So God wants you to have the the promises, but there is an enemy who will do everything within his power to keep every promise that God wants you to have out of your life. The thief comes, Jesus said, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I think a good example of this, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. Moses brings them to the promised land, to the edge of the promised land, right at the Jordan River. Now, the Bible says, listen, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, the first chapter, it says that from when they left Egypt to Kadesh Barnea is an 11-day journey. 11 days. How long did it take them? 40 years. Right? It took 40 years to get to that promise that God had for them. Now, it wasn't supposed to, but it did. And this is what happened. God said to them, I've got a promised land for you. He said, this land flows with milk and honey. And by the way, milk and honey really translates to us in practical terms is I have a place of abundance and sweet victory for you. And God's got a promised land for every single one of us. But he said, I've given you that land. He said, I'm going to defeat your enemies. I'm going to send hornets before you. They're going to scare the enemy out before you even get there. I'm going to help you in every battle. And they come to the edge of the promised land. Moses sends in 12 spies. They pass through the land for 40 days. And they come back. And they said, we went to the land where you sent us. And truly it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They had stopped in the valley of Eshketol. And they had cut down a cluster of grapes. It was so big, it took two men to carry it on a pole. How many have seen kind of pictures of that? You know, the two men carrying this cluster of grapes, right? It says, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up in what's and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out. Now, by the way, God said they gave a bad report. If God says you can, and you say you can't, that's a bad report. The land through which we've gone. They said it's a land that devours all its inhabitants. And the people we saw there are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. and We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So God had said, I've given it to you. They said, we can't. Now, two spies stood up and said, let us go in at once. Ten said, we can't. Two million people believed the ten. 
And they, the Bible says that they cried all night. And they said, why has God brought us here? It would be better that we go back to Egypt. It would be better if we died in the desert. Why has God brought us here? This is what God said. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who rejected me see it. Now, they thought they were just rejecting what God had said. But God said, when you reject what I say, you're rejecting me. So God says, as I live, just as they have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to them. The carcasses of those who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of them who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above. So here's what God just said. There's 2 million people who said we cannot go in. And God said, every one of you who said you can't go in, you're not going in. Every one of you who said that it's better to die in the desert, you're going to go and you're going to die in the desert. Two, two said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. And of two million, they're the only two who went in. The two who said we can, the two that believed God, received God's promise. Everybody else who didn't believe God's promise did not receive God's promise. Now, here's what we do. We look at what everybody else is getting, what everybody else is doing. And we think, well, you know, they prayed and it didn't work for them. Or I don't know, they didn't get blessed or they did get blessed. And if they got blessed, I guess I'll get blessed. And if they didn't get blessed, I won't get blessed. And we have experiential theology. We look at everybody else's experience and try to figure out what God's will is. But let me just tell you something. God does not look at experience. God does chapter and verse. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. He said, I've magnified my word above all my name. He said, I confirm my word with signs following. You know what God does? God does chapter and verse. Not experience. And just because somebody doesn't receive something does not mean it was not God's will for him to have it. So, those two million people died, but their children believed. This is what Joshua said later. They went in and they took possession. And he says, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Now the next generation, they went in. And they took possession. And by the way, when we say they took possession, how many know they had to fight some battles? In fact, they had to fight 115 battles. 115 times they breached the walls of the enemy and they took possession. Now, the promised land is not a type of heaven. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have any enemies. You're not going to have to fight any battles in heaven. But the promised land is a type of a victorious Christian life. And you cannot have all that God wants for you and just sit back on your laurels and think that it's going to fall from heaven like ripe cherries off a tree. Because the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it. I remember that old song, Onward Christian Soldiers. Nowadays, it's like, you know, stay back Christian wimps. Just sit back and see what happens, right? But you do have an enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. He will try to keep from you 
every promise that God has for you. Now, when Jesus went to Nazareth, this is in Luke chapter 4, it says they delivered to him the scroll or the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the scroll and he found the place where it is written. And then he read and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then he said, listen, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus said. This scripture right here is true today concerning me, right? Now, literally, that's what you and I need to do with the promises. We need to open the book and we need to find the place where it's written. Find the place where God's promise concerning your situation stands. And you need to literally read that thing, meditate on it, get it down in your heart to where you're saying, this scripture is true today about me. That's how you claim a promise of God. You need to grab hold and you need to stand. Resist the enemy and stand. It's in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You got to stand. You got to endure. There may be a period of time where you're standing and it appears that the promise is not showing up, but you, having, the Bible says, having done all, stand. Stand. Claim that promise and stand. Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. We said that we receive by faith. Right? And faith is largely dependent on knowledge. And I want to talk to you about where your faith needs to be in order to receive the promise. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a sacrifice or a mercy seat through faith in his blood. All right. Jesus was a sacrifice, a mercy seat, a propitiation for you and I through faith in his blood. So what a Christian does is we believe that Jesus went to the cross, that his blood paid for our sin, that his blood redeemed us or bought us back, brought us back to God, that his blood, well, let me just read it, uh, Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. You were redeemed, the Bible says in Peter, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, from the vain conversation or the useless lifestyle received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus. What redeemed you? The blood, the blood of Jesus. Christ redeemed us with his blood from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham. All right. Now, when he redeemed you, listen, he didn't just redeem you from, he redeemed you to. The Bible says in Hebrews that he took away the first, that he may establish the second. God never just does away with something. When God does away with something, he's bringing you someplace, right? So he redeemed us from the curse, but he just didn't redeem us from the curse. He brought us into something else, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So the blessings of Abraham, Jesus purchased for us at the cross. 
Now, you know you weren't saved because of your good behavior, and you don't receive a blessing because of your good behavior, all right? You receive a blessing because of what Jesus did for you and for me. It is through faith in his blood. The same way you receive forgiveness as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In Galatians 3.29, it says, if you be Christ, how many of you are Christ? Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, the first promise God gives to Abraham is in Genesis chapter 12. Great promise. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs. Genesis 17. But then in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham has been walking with God now for years. And God had promised him a child, but the child didn't show up. And when he's 99 years old, he finally gets this child. But all these years that Abraham is walking with God, look at it as you read through Genesis, he keeps on making an altar. And he comes and he worships God. And he dedicates everything to God. He keeps on building altars. But then God gives him a child. 99 years old, he gets a child. And all of a sudden, the, the, the altars disappear. Now, here's what can happen. God can bless us. And we get more interested in the blessing than in the blesser. And that's a really dangerous place to get, where God blesses you, and all of a sudden you get all carried away with the blessing and forget about the one that blessed you. So God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your son Isaac, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice, build an altar, put him on there and offer him. Abraham gets up in the morning, and he takes his son Isaac and they take a three-day journey, and they get to Mount Moriah. Right? So Abraham comes, and he builds that altar right there. He's ready to take that knife and to kill his son. And God says, stop. Stop. He said, I, I, I didn't want you to kill your son. He says, but now I know, he said, that you love me and you worship me more than anything else. And you can look it up in the column your center column reference Bible. We say Jehovah Jireh, and we just say the Lord will supply. But you look it up. This is what it says. In this mountain, it will be supplied. That's what he said. In this mountain, it will be supplied. Now, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Here's what Bible scholars believe happened. That when Abraham was about to kill his son and God said, stop, God gave him a vision. Because Jesus said he saw his day. And his day was his day to, at Calvary. And God showed him in a vision just across that little Kidron Valley. He showed him Golgotha, where Jesus would be crucified. And he showed him a cross. And God said to Abraham, he said, you are willing to give your son. And I will give my son right here in this place. My son is going to die for your sins, but not just yours, but for the sins of the whole world. And of course, God shows him there's a ram caught in a thicket and he kills that ram. But then God talked to him and God said something to him. He says, because you've done this, verse 17, he said, I'll bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. I will bless you, God said. Oh, how I will bless you. Now, the Bible says, if you be Christ, 
Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Bible calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. That by them you might become a partaker of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. But you know what? They aren't going to just fall on you and I like ripe cherries off a tree. You're going to have to believe them. You're going to have to confess them. You're going to have to resist the enemy. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to stand. Right? Now, not only are blessings come, come to us through these promises that God has given us, but also the Bible shows us that we can speak a blessing. In fact, when God wanted to, to bless the children of Israel, he said to Moses, he said, speak to Aaron and his sons. And this is the way they will bless the children of Israel. Say to them. Now, he said, when you want to bless my people, he said, this is what you do. He says, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God says, so I will put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Now notice, not only does God bless, but he gives us as believers the privilege of blessing others. You say, how do you do it? With the words that you speak. He said, when the the Levites say this, he said, I will put my name on my people and I will bless my people. When they say, and as parents, as grandparents, we need to speak blessing on our children. Not only is there a blessing through these exceeding great and precious promises that God has for us. But the Bible teaches us as believers that we're to speak a blessing to one another and speak a blessing on our children. Again, all the promises of God are yes, and they are amen when you are in him. You're in Christ, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. You know, God wants you to be totally blessed. And the greatest blessing that he has for you is to forgive your sins and make you a part of his family. If you're away from God today or you need to get right with God, I want to invite you right now to bow your head and to pray this prayer from your heart. Say this, make these words yours. You say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins and I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven. My past is gone and I am your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith. 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.